This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Tia Cooper, welcome back to Better Reading. Thank you. Lovely to see you. Yeah, I can hear and see you. We are doing this via Zoom. Tia is an award-winning Australian author of historical fiction. In a past life, she was a teacher, a journalist, and a farmer. These days, she haunts museums and indulges her passion for storytelling. Her internationally best-selling novels include The Woman in the Green Dress, The Girl in the Painting, The Butterfly Collector, The Naturalist's Daughter, and many more. Today we're talking about her latest novel, The Talented Mrs Greenway. She brings to life the story of the wife of the colonial architect Frances Greenway and asks whose hand really shaped Sydney. Who is the talented Mrs Greenway? There is a real trend, isn't there, in fiction at the moment. Well, I'm thinking of Anna Funder's book, Wifedom, where she finds out in her research of George Orwell, that Mrs. Orwell played a large part in his. And I success. think there's one. About, I also think there's one about Mrs. Einstein as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are several. I didn't actually set out to do to do it. Um, the reason I wanted to write the story was that there's so much about Greenway. Oh no! First of all, I should go back. Most of my stories are set in the Hunter, and. Greenway is supposed to be buried in the Hunter in an unmarked grave, and that's where it all started. Um, and I Can you of, tell our international li- listeners what the Hunter is? Oh, sorry. The Hunter Valley is an area north of um, Sydney. It was one of the first areas in, in Australia to have settlers who were not convicts. So the history goes back quite a long way. It was one of the first areas to get land grants. It's actually an area bound by the Hawkesbury River, the Hunter River and the McDonald River. So about 100 miles north of Sydney inland, a great wine-growing region, lots of Hunter wines. Mm -hmm. Delicious wines. And what's your connection with the Hunter? I live in the Hunter. I live in Wollongby, which is... um, uh, now a very small village. It was, it was originally um, settled as it, it was going to be the main administration position in the Hunter for the government and everything else. And they built a road from Sydney through to Wollongby and then it was going to go on further north. But um, the convicts built this road and you still drive in on the road that the convicts built. But it took a long time from Sydney. It was sort of like, I think, about five or six days to get here. And it was just when steamships had started and they started running ships from um, Sydney, steamships from Sydney up to Newcastle. And once the convict settlement at Newcastle had been moved further north, the settlers started to move in there and the steamships would travel up the Hunter, 
up the Hunter River from Newcastle inland, and you could do it overnight. So you got on, you got on the boat in Sydney, um, had a nice little cabin, went to bed, woke up in the morning in time for breakfast, which apparently was always flathead and <laughs> flathead and um, fresh bread um, at Newcastle, and then you ambled up the Hunter River to a place called Morpeth. Mm-hmm. And so one by one got left behind because it was bypassed. So it's still very much as it was then. It's mm-hmm. it's a lovely. So going back before I interrupted you to the Greenways. So I, yes, so I discovered that that um, Francis Greenway, I didn't realise it, apparently it's a fairly well-known fact, that Francis Greenway was supposedly buried in an unmarked grave in Maitland, which is one of the towns closer to the Hunter River. But then when I did some poking around, it's, there's nothing really, there's been a lot of research done, there's nothing actually to prove that he was buried there, and apparently he died of typhoid. But they like to claim that Greenway is buried somewhere in this cemetery um, in an unmarked grave. And that's where I started, because all my stories seem to start in The Hunter. I like writing about where I live. It's great. You can go and poke around and have a look. And then I thought, I want, and then I came across his wife. He had a wife. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. What can I find out about her? And the answer came back very little. There's massive masses that's been written about Francis Greenway. Um, he, you know, everything is documented, but there are about half a dozen handful of references to his wife. And so I decided I wanted to find out about her. And <laughs> what I basically did was to fill in the gaps fictionally weave it through his story. And there are a few things that I question whether he did them. Um, I haven't got anything to base it on it. I don't know, but it made a good story. So I had a lot of fun, but it's tied into his history, but it's her story. Her mm. story. Yes, we like that. We do like so, that. And that's the freedom you get in fiction, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, but it, I haven't, I mean, there's a lot more fact in this book and I probably won't ever do it again because I just got completely bogged down in, in Greenway's history. I do it with most of my books. There's, there is a, the fact, the facts provide the framework and the gaps are filled in by fiction. Yeah. So all your books are based on fact. Is that right? All my books are based on usually a series of facts. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other book, I haven't been specifically about one person before. I, I usually write fictional characters, and I guess Mary Greenway was able to be a fictional character because there was so little about her. Mm. If you see and that. are you saying in the book, because he was an architect, and are you saying that she did some of the work? Is that what yes. we're implying here? That is what we're implying, yes. And so the, the the book basically falls into three parts. The first part, so there's no reference, there's no birth certificate for her that we can find. There's no reference to her at all until she married Greenway. By that time, she had two sons, but we only know that because Greenway adopted the um, Greenway's name was put down on their baptismal certificates as their father, but it was when they were three or four years old. Mm. And three years or two or three years after she had married Greenway. So were they his sons or weren't they? What I found totally fascinating was the third son who was born after they were married was the first son to be called Francis. And usually you see the oldest son mm. is given the father's mm. name. So I decided I'd 
fictionalize it and and know he wasn't the father of the first two. Mm. So, yeah. so the first part of it is the story of where the other two came from. Now, tell me this. When you're researching, is it like me in terms of you find something and then I do this a lot, let's say, with movies, if I'm watching a film and I'm curious as to who the director was or who the producer was or, you know, and then I go in and I go and find the producer and then I find out that the producer was married to so-and-so and another, and then that's like now detracted me for an for an hour from what I was watching, yes. right? Is that you? Twelve <laughs> months later, I have a book. <laughs> yes, it's 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 the dreaded rabbit hole. Yeah, and then there's those. I find it happens quite not. I mean, all the time, but quite often. There's. You know, I'll think, I wonder, you know, maybe that happened and I'll go and dig a bit more and you find this, what I like to call a serendipitous piece of research and you go, mm. oh, I was actually on the right track. So sometimes I feel as though I'm a bit like a detective. <laughs> yes, I think there is a feeling of discovery, isn't there? Yes, it is. And I, I get an enormous kick out of it. But it is such a time waste. <laughs> you can waste so much time. And then you have to get, you get to the stage where you say, I'm not going to do any more research, no more. I'm going to stick to what I've got and then write write the first draft and then inevitably there's bits and pieces that you have to go back and check. But um, yeah. I think in terms it. of time wasting, I justify my, that with all I'm learning something. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, you do yes, the same. Absolutely. And this is, this is actually where it started because I was born in England, which I think everybody knows and can tell from my voice. And I came here in my early 20s, so I've actually lived here longer than I've I lived in England, but I always, I loved history. Um, I studied at university and, you know, everything else. Um, but I got here and I knew nothing about Australia or Australian Why history. did you come? Why did I come here? I um, I had, I qualified as a teacher and I was working for a man called Sir John Lawrence, who, um, as his editorial assistant, and he, he was involved with a magazine called Frontier. And they, it was back in the days of Solzhenitsyn, they actually sponsored Solzhenitsyn trying to get him out of Russia and all of that sort of stuff. Anyway, his grandfather was Sir Henry Lawrence, who is a very famous Indian in India, um, the, the Siege of Lucknow and the Black Hole of Calcutta and all that sort of stuff. But he had founded a school for Indian Army officers' children up near Shimla, north of Delhi. And so I was stomping around the, the office saying, okay, well, now what? Because this was my, I was working for him part-time while I've been going through teaching mm. college. And he said, well, if you don't want to work in England, go and work in India. I'm on the board of governors of a school. And two weeks later, I was there. <laughs> so there's also actually in Mrs. Greenway, there's also quite a lot of reference to India. Um, I used it to fill in um, Mary's backstory when she was younger no spoilers. And so a lot of that comes from the time I spent in India. Um, so I was there for a year and then I just kept on going and ended up, well, I, I met up with some friends. I, I spent a year teaching there and then ended up in Australia and never went home. Where, whereabouts in Australia did you land and where did you teach or did you teach? Well, you know, um, <laughs> children and adults and you name it. I, I landed in Sydney in the early 70s. I Came on a tourist visa. I eventually, to cut a long story short, got um, a residency permit and I, I started teaching English as a second language in the western suburbs. 
and I taught adult English as well. And then I moved up to the Central Coast and worked as an itinerant ESL teacher because there was sort of a couple of kids in every English as a second language in every school. And then I kind of got fed up with working out of the back of the car and I got a, um, a classroom job as a primary school teacher and and kept going. I was a teacher for 35 years. Okay. So, wow. you know. Wow. And then I woke up one, and I loved it. I really did love it. I woke up one morning and thought, I don't want to do this. Oh, I was playing, I was acting principal, and I hated that. I really didn't like being, I was teaching as well because it was a small school, and I didn't like the acting principal bit at all. Um, And I just woke up one morning and thought, I don't want to do this anymore. And I applied for long service leave and discovered that I got 12 months off, and I took it, and I wrote a book, a contemporary book. Awful, 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 awful book. But I did get it. was published as an e-book, and that was the beginning. And then I just kept going. And so, so Mrs. Greenway is my ninth print book. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. So what? at what point did you become a farmer? Oh, that was while I was still teaching, while I was still married as well. We had a protein farm and an alpaca farm. Oh, wow. And then um, the marriage went sideways and it was wound up. To cut a long story short. Yeah. Uh, did you like farm life? Yes, I did. Um, I, I enjoyed the produce farm, no end. The alpacas were great fun. It wasn't, I was also teaching at the same time, and so was my husband. Um, so it was a, it was pretty full on. Yeah. Um, but it just, it, yeah, I did enjoy it actually. I mean, I still live on, I, I, I now live on 100 acres. We had a, a, um, a smaller acreage than that when we had the alpacas and the farm and the flowers. So I guess I, I much prefer being mm. on the land, as I say, but I'm not really on the land anymore because the 100 acres I have is under a conservation order and it's a bit like picnic hanging rock, you know, it's, but it is just outside Wollongby. So that's where that mm. all links up. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. So I want to talk to you about the transition from teaching to writing. You said that the first book you wrote was God Awful, and sure, it's probably practice, isn't it? Was it what oh, did you learn from the first to the second? Like how is it that you went from God Awful to a good book? Well, the first thing I did was to discover that I couldn't write contemporary. <laughs> My voice was just all wrong. Um, I was too old as well, I think. And... So that was the first thing. I'd always, I'd always written. I, I worked as a um, when I first left school. I worked as I worked as a 
cover journalist, for want of a better word. Then, as I said, I wrote, I worked as an editor assistant. That involved quite a lot of writing and reading and things like that. Um, I was the publicity officer for the Alpaca Association when it first started in Australia. So I've always sort of done a bit of writing, but it wasn't um, it wasn't creative writing, if you like. It wasn't mm-hmm. um, fictional writing. And it was something I'd always said, you know, one day I'm going to write a book. I always used to say that one day I'm going to write a book from, you know, my family and other animals, but somebody pinched the title, so I couldn't do that. Yeah, so so I got, I got a year up my sleeve and I thought... Why not give it a go and see what happens? And so I, and then at the end of the year, I that I'd had off on long service leave, I took my superannuation and ran and prayed that I'd get away with it mm-hmm. and that it would last. So, talk to me about the book that got published. The first one, yeah, the first one. Or the awful contemporary, or the first Harper Collins one. The first, well, no, the first Harper, the one. Well, let's say the first one that you liked. Okay, so this, well, the first one I liked was the first historical that I wrote. Mm-hmm. The only mistake I made with that was that an American ebook publisher picked it up and they changed everything to ranches and things like that. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's not going to happen. But nobody was interested in Australian historicals. They all said, oh, no, nobody reads Australian historicals. At that time. Um, at that time, yes. Yeah. And I have um, Kate Cuthbert and Escape Publishing to thank for that because I sent one to her and she took it and it was public. I think it was came out in the second round of books that came out with Escape. So I wrote, um, and then the one that I'd sent to America, I got back and they published that one. So we had Matilda's Freedom and Lily's Leap, and then there were two or three more. And then I wrote, um, <laughs> and then I wrote one and I sent it to my critique partner, uh, Eva Scott, who also writes, and uh, she was my critique partner at that stage, and she sent it back and she said, oh, it's a load of rubbish, you know. He would have been hung as a horse thief. Um, you couldn't have done that, and, you know, so I sort of back to square one, as you do. I discovered he wouldn't have been hung as a horse thief, but she was quite right. He probably at least would have been arrested and had a nasty time in jail. So I rewrote the book. And it turned out it was a hundred because the ebooks were only fifty thousand words. So it, yeah. suddenly I had this hundred thousand words, and I joined Romance Writers of Australia. And Sue Brockoff was taking pictures, so I threw my hat in the ring and she picked. And it we're up. talking about pictures, P I T C H E S. Yes. it's like speed dating. You know, you have to you get five minutes to pitch your book. <laughs> But it was successful, so that was the best thing. And right. and the book came out, and um, I've basically done one, one a year since. I want to talk about your writing partner, Eva Scott. So she was. We met through RWA. There was this um, thing where you could um, match up with somebody. Mm-hmm. So so we critiqued each other's works. Then after a while. We were both going in different directions, and so that's that stopped. And I met Sarah Barry, who oh, right. writes. She lives half an hour down the road, and we are now critique partners and have have been for some time. So t- um, talk to me about what it is and how that relationship works. So um, <laughs> we shout at each other a lot. We know what we're going to write about, roughly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm stuck. What am I going to do here? Or I can't work this out. 
lots of, you know, toing and froing and things like that. And then once you've got a read, once we've got a readable first draft, we send it to each other and shout at it and complain about it and say it's really good. And I mean, we were brutally, brutally honest, um, which you have to be, which is why it's good to have somebody that you get to know really well mm. because it's, it's a bit gutting when it comes back. <laughs> so would you say you're friends or is it a strictly business? No, 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 we're very good. Yes, we are very good friends. Um, we Actually, we're off to Tasmania to Terror Australis next week. So, no, yeah, so we do am lots I. of things like that. Oh, see you there. Mm, I'm doing um, a session. Yes, I'm doing a session, and Sarah's. I think Sarah's chairing one and doing another one as well. Um, so that'll be good. I'm doing one on um, uh, how to market yourself for authors. Oh, better go, better go to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Yes. No, we went last year as well. It's fantastic. We have such fun. So, talk to me about the process of writing and how you approach the day-to-day business of work. Well, it varies. I usually have I have an idea for I, I, I don't know where to start. Um, I have an idea for a book because I found some interesting snippet, you know, Greenways, Armark Grave, for example, and I start poking around, and then I. I sort of think, well, maybe it'll go. I, I, I have a big piece of butcher's paper and um, I have a big, oh, this is, there's no video, but you can see a big black circle behind, behind me, which is a blackboard because I'm an ex-school teacher and things get scribbled on that. And then I decide on the characters and then I start writing and I don't really know where I'm going, but I find that I have to write my way into the character, certainly into the main characters. And I write basically the scenes that I think might happen that appeal to me. It's not in chronological order. So I end up with this sort of big muddle that I have to sort out. I I like to liken it to a jigsaw. You sort of build the frame with the, I'm going to write about this and this is going to happen and maybe that'll happen. And then I go and, you know, do the blue sky bit or do the green flowers. And then gradually it comes together until you've got a first draft. But at the same time, you're also working, you know, you're actually running, if you're putting a, doing a book a year, you're actually dealing with three books. So I've got two weeks to finish my 2024 book, which I'm writing at the moment. But Mrs. Greenway's just come out, so there's the library talks and things about that. Mm. And and then before Mrs. Greenway came out, there were the edits to that. So you're sort of running the edits and, the, and a book that's come out and the one that you're writing all at the same time. Mm. Do you Can ever get any of them muddled up? <laughs> I, I did once. Um, when the structural editing, so I usually try to have um, probably about, you know, a very rough 40,000 words written before I get the edits of the previous book, which usually come in the middle of the year. I made the mistake of trying to keep doing both at once quite a long time ago, almost five or six years ago, and I suddenly realised I'd gone through and changed all the names to the wrong name. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> and I'm never doing that again. So as soon as the structural edit comes in, I put the other one away. I put the right. writing of the other one and concentrate on the one to do the edits on. Um, otherwise I get in there. Mm. One book, you know, you could say that one book a year, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot of work. Are you at your desk almost every day, Monday to Friday? 
No, I I live by myself, so I'm in the position of being able to do what I want when I want, basically. And I actually get a lot of writing done at the weekend, more, probably more writing done at the weekend than than unless I'm daughter lives in Sydney, unless I'm sort of going down to Sydney or doing a family thing. I, I find that I get quite a lot, a lot done um, at the weekend. Also because Wollongbai is a tourist area and you just I just don't go down to Wollongbai at the weekend because it's full of strange people um, or different people, other people. And then it's, you know, it's woven around. But I, it doesn't matter. I can I can do what I want when I want. You know, mm. I can get up at 6 in the morning if I feel like it. I don't have to take any kids to school. I have no idea how people do it with children and, and husbands and this, that. And, and they do. You know, I don't eat dinner until, you know, it, I just do it when I want to do it. Right. So, no, I don't get up at 9 o'clock and go into the office and sit down and, and work. Right. And is there a point that you get to where it's close to delivery date and you're quite panicked as to where you're at? Like about today. Yeah. <laughs> it's due in, <laughs> in two weeks. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to and I'm going to Tasmania. And yes, I no, I have got a first draft. Um Sarah hasn't read it yet. Yes, it is a bit panicky. Hmm. But I do I, I didn't actually make the deadline with Mrs. Greenway. That was the first time I had to ask for an extension. I think I'll be all right with this one, but we'll see. Mm. And why didn't you make the deadline? I don't know. Probably because I think I actually think I, I'd bitten off more than I could chew. There was just so much fact that right. I had to, you know, I, it's, it's much easier if you're writing straight fiction because if you have a really good idea, you can go off on a tangent. But if you've got too much fact, which there was a lot of fact, that I had to and you have to, around. even though you're writing fiction, you do have to stay true to the facts yes, and in a have, certain way. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't have them leaving for Australia three years mm. before or something. Yes. and I found that much harder with this book than I found mm. have with any. Because the other ones, you can, you know, if, if there's more fiction in it, you can, you've got a bit more leeway. Mm. So, when yeah. you reflect on your career. You know, you've worked a long time. Do you think that this is a time in your life that's your most favourite? Like, I think that a lot. Like, because I, you know, started out working in libraries and then I moved into retail and now I'm doing this. And I thought I was so lucky that what I call end of career has turned out to be my most favourite. Yes, absolutely. And then occasionally I think, well, oh, we should have done this before. We've done it a bit earlier. Mm. Mm. I couldn't have done because it wouldn't have been financially viable. I couldn't have brought up a child. I couldn't have, you know, this is why I say I'm I'm lucky because I live by myself and I can do what I want when I want. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. The other thing I really, really appreciate is that it seems that the publishing business, or certainly HarperCollins, they're not, you know, they don't care how old you are as long as you produce the product. Which is fantastic. It gives you, you know, some. Well, it's all about the story, isn't it? Yeah, it's got, you know, I'm just the the vessel that turns out the story. And and it's it's an excellent job being an author as you get older, I think. And I think also being older, you, you know, you see more, you've got more, perhaps more understanding of. Well, that was going to be my next question. Would you have been able to write these books if you were younger in terms of subject? I'm probably not, no. Mm, mm. Um, and I think that 
I mean, they, they, you know, it's that whole thing, do you base your characters on, on anybody? No, I don't. But there's always a little bit of somebody of course. in everybody. Yeah. You know, and something. Also, I mean, in a way, teaching has played to that because you you learn a lot about a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. every year you have 30 different people that you're learning about in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Never mind their parents and teachers and everything else. So I think it's um no, I don't think I could have done. I would have liked to have done. It's interesting. Okay, Tia, we're out of time. Thank you so much. The book is called <laughs> The Talented Mrs. Greenway. And you better get back to work. I better get back to work and I try and meet my deadline. It was lovely talking to you. Thanks, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y dot And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.